That was a day of joy. We had a dedication at the first service of Ivy Joy Nichols. And that was, that was really a, a, a ple- pleasure today. So uh, I, I love this. The theme is just so perfect. Joy to the world. All the boys and girls. Joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea. Joy to you and me. Every No, 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 no. I don't want to go there. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, no, today, second uh, Sunday in Advent, we want to look at, at joy. And I have three objectives this morning. Uh, one is to compare the worldly definition of joy with a Christian perspective of joy. Secondly, to discover where this joy comes from and how we can attain it. And the third thing is I want to tell a personal story of joy for all of you. So um, last week, Steve, <laughs> oh, he, had a, he had a great message on hope. I hope you heard that. Um, yeah, he looked up the, how the world views the word hope. And so I, I, I thought about that and I said, no, I'm going to use this definition. I'm going to use a comparison, analogy. Uh, I'm going to talk about how the world looks at hope and how the world looks at joy. So it's kind of like this. You go to the movies, buy your tickets, you walk into the concession stand, you buy a bag of popcorn. You go into the theater, you sit down and you watch all those commercials. You hope that by before, you hope that before the movie starts, you'll still have popcorn in your bag. If you reach in your bag after the show has started, there's joy because you still got some left. That's how the world looks at hope and joy. It's, it's all in comparison. Uh, the, to joy, joy to the world is dependent on favorable circumstances. People see joy just another, as another word for happiness. In the world, happiness is dependent on circumstances. If you're having a good day, if there's no struggles, if there's something happened that was advantageous, if the Broncos win a game, you're feeling happy about that. Unfortunately, this kind of perspective will often be prone to disappointment and even depression. It, if our joy must rely on things that happen around us, we're going to be disappointed. I knew a lady in my second church who every Christmas, I knew I would have to do this after every Christmas, I'd have to go and counsel with her about this. Her ideal picture was her highly dysfunctional family would have a tremendous Christmas day together. She got up early, slaved in the kitchen, made all everyone's favorite foods, you know, put out the spread, the tablecloth and everything else, and just wanted her husband and her kids, adult kids, to be at peace with each other or just get along with each other, and always perceiving that as the perfect Christmas. Well, it's not going to happen. And it doesn't happen to the best of us, actually, but boy, this was a dysfunctional family. And someone, you know, they know the buttons to push. You know your brothers and sisters. You know what buttons to push. And they start pushing the buttons. Well, you're this, uh, you're that way. And they're arguing with each other. And someone will say, well, I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm out of here. And it's another disastrous Christmas for them. And every year I would go back in and say, you're looking for joy in the wrong place. You're not going to find it from your family. You only find it from the Lord. When the Bible speaks of joy or rejoicing, we have a different understanding. 
Joy is not dependent on our circumstances. Joy comes straight from God. It comes from beyond ourselves, yet we find it within us. To the world, joy is external. To the Christian, joy is internal. Joy to the world relies on chance. Joy to the follower of Jesus is a choice. Joy to the follower is a choice. When we choose joy, when we choose Jesus, when we choose to come into his presence, we experience joy. So let's look at these texts for this morning. First, the Advent reading that we had earlier, Matthew 2, 7 through 10. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too, wink, wink, may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now that joy did not just come only from seeing the star. They understood its significance and chose to follow it as they knew it would be leading them to the king of the Jews and into the presence of the Lord. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. A joy which is overflowing, running over, a super abundance of joy. You know, the Magi found themselves traveling through Jerusalem. And as they, as they followed the star, they, they stopped there in this haven of Judaism, the holy city, Jerusalem. So why did they stop there? It was simple, to ask directions. That's why they call them wise men. They stopped to ask directions. They said, where, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, Herod was an evil king. And he was really disturbed by the question. He had no tolerance for anyone who would challenge his throne. So he calls the religious experts the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Christ was to be born. The answer in verse 5, In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Israel of, of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That is a direct quote from the prophet in Micah, Micah 5, verse 2, which reads this way, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. It's interesting to me that these chiefs and teachers of the law, chief priests and teachers of the law, they knew the answer. They knew the prophecy. They knew the Messiah, or in Greek, the Christ, would come from Bethlehem. Now, 
and trying to remember the statistics as Steve told us last Sunday about just one person meeting those uh, criteria and, and it was something like uh, to, to meet so many of those, it would be one out of 100 quadrillion. I just remember that number. Impossible. Impossible. And what the Lord is saying through the prophet Micah is this. When my son comes to you, when I send him to be your Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, I don't want you to miss him, so I'm going to tell you his address. It's Bethlehem. Now, it's a small town, and you can't miss him. God's prophecy is so precise that he tells us the address of where he's to be born. And the teachers of the law and the chief priests knew that. They knew this prophecy. But did they believe it? It makes you wonder, why didn't they say, wow, these educated Gentiles are coming to Bethlehem to worship the king of the Jews. Maybe this prophecy has something to do with it. Maybe we should go and see. Nope. They were satisfied just having the answer. So the, the, the wise men left and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. It wasn't by chance that they were in Bethlehem. It was by choice. And by choosing to come into the presence of Christ in Bethlehem, they chose joy. And they were overcome with joy. Now the other scripture text for today is from Luke. Luke 2, verses 8 through 10. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Great joy for all the people. Now, do you suppose when the angels left, they really would have done this and just said to each other, Dude, that was awesome! Yeah, I, I think I'll go to sleep now. Okay, me too. Have a good night. See you in the morning. They were standing there with their mouths dropped open and their hearts beating rapidly. They said, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they also made the choice to come into his presence. And after seeing Jesus in the manger and telling of their experience with the angel, they returned return to their fields rejoicing, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Now you can say that they were the first to experience this great joy that was for all the people. They chose to come into his presence and in so doing discovered joy. Now, what I just said isn't really fully true. They weren't the first to really physically come into the presence of the Lord. In fact, there's another lesser known part of the Christmas narrative uh, that happens between the time of conception and the birth of Jesus. There was a time when Mary left Galilee to visit her kinswoman, uh, Elizabeth, who was most likely her aunt, during that time when they were both pregnant. Older Elizabeth was expecting her firstborn as well because she and her husband Zechariah had been unable to conceive. And when she gave birth, when Elizabeth gave birth, they named him John, whom we now know as John the Baptist. 
So in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45, we have this account. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus and John, his cousin John, get together in their mother's wombs? And John's, man, yahoo! He's doing somersaults in Elizabeth's tummy. He is so excited. He's filled with joy because he's in the presence of Jesus. Joy comes from the Lord. And how do we experience this joy? Simply by coming into his presence. So I invite you, come to Jesus. When we first come to Jesus, there is this, I guess I would say, an inexplainable joy. Our sins have been forgiven. We are released from the burden of guilt and shame. We are set free and are no longer in bondage to sin. Jesus, who died, took our place. Uh, he took our sin upon himself and destroyed its consequences. We are free. That feeling that we have in that moment, that's called joy. The God's Holy Spirit enters our soul and our very lives and, and we experience joy. In Galatians, he calls this the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Joy is the second characteristic mentioned in this list of attributes we receive from the Lord when we believe. It's an integral part of our new nature. And it's permanent. Not dependent on circumstances. We received it by faith, by our choice to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. We were given it when we chose to come into his presence. And every time we choose to enter his presence, there is joy. Joy is always within us. You know, William Barclay wrote in a little thing he titled here, The Indestructibility of Joy. I like that. Christian joy, he says, is in the Lord. Its basis is that the Christian lives forever in the presence of Jesus Christ. He can lose all things, he can lose all people, but he can never lose Christ. Christ's joy remains because not all the threats and terror and discomforts of life can separate the Christian from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He is writing in reference to Romans 8. Worldly joy, like happiness, is by chance. Our sinner's joy who has come to Jesus is by choice. Now, when Christians walk with Jesus, they walk with joy. And we tend to say, Jesus changed my life. And that may be so, but the reality is, Jesus exchanged our lives. He exchanged 
His righteousness for our sinfulness. Another word we like to use is the word redeemed. We've been cashed in and payment's been made in full. He took our place on the cross and exchanged his life for ours. Now, if that's not a reason to have joy, then I'm missing the whole point, aren't I? Jesus said in John 15, verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He was talking about remaining to his disciples, remaining in his love. And when we do so, our joy is complete. And our joy is in, in Jesus can never be taken away from us. It is independent of chances and changes or the challenges in our world. And he also said in John 16, verse 22, Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Our joy is permanent. It cannot be destroyed or taken away. It is a part of us forever because we have come into his presence and believed. Joy is not just a Christmas time event. It's a forever event. It lasts for more than a lifetime. It lasts an eternal lifetime. Come into his presence. His invitation is to experience joy. A couple of months ago, I, I mentioned something. I said I wanted to tell you this story, and it just seemed appropriate today to share this with you. So it's a little bit of my history. Forty-some um, years ago, 40, well, 42, I think, Vicki and I started, I started my ministry in a little church in North Denver. And it was an older congregation, uh, we, we, we laughingly say the average age was 70, and that's because Vicki and I were each in our low 20s. You know, it was less than fewer than 20 people that were there, and they didn't tell me this. No one told me this, but before we signed on, before we came to be the pastor of that church, they had already voted to close their doors when I graduate. They, they weren't growing. It was an older congregation. They were just dying. They said, well, we can't go on forever. So I didn't even know that, but, you know, I was glad to be there. And as I told you this story before, it was my third year uh, in, in my school of theology that, that all this was taking place. And that year was the year that I came to know Jesus personally. I always knew about him. I was raised in the church. I had all the language. I, you know, I could, I could do everything. I just didn't have that personal relationship until that third year. And something tremendously happened to me when I believed. I was filled with joy. I was so excited. I couldn't believe it. You know, I couldn't stop reading the Bible. I carried it with me wherever I went. When I was driving on the road, I had it in the, in the passenger seat, hoping that that light would turn red before I got there so I could open it up and read a couple more verses. I was just thrilled by it. I was, being, I was a dry sponge soaking it in. Thrilled with it, thrilled with the word of God, thrilled with joy. And all of a sudden, if you can believe this, my sermons got interesting. I, I, I mean, I'm reading all this stuff and it's like, I got to tell people this. I got to tell this to folks. When I studied in, in seminary, I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't want to be a pastor. I prepared to be a counselor and a chaplain. And, and all of a sudden, I'm just excited about doing all of this. 
And, and I mean, it was a great, great ministry, tremendous ministry for us. And it lasted 10, 11, 12 years, something like that. But I remember um, early on after that happened, I remember saying a prayer. And I remember praying to the Lord this prayer. Lord, I want to be able to finish my career as excited and fulfilled and filled with joy as I am right now as I'm beginning my career. I remembered that prayer. And it was a great, great church. It was awesome. I want to boast a moment, and that was, it was part of the United Methodist Church, and our church was recognized in the United States as one of the three most vital, smaller United Methodist churches in, in the country. I was, you know, I mean, you know, we were doing things. It was exciting. But the Methodist church has a way of doing things contrary to the Covenant church. Uh, and they have a bishop. And one year after we'd been there, 10, 11, 12 years, uh, the bishop, new bishop comes in and he says, okay, we're going to take 30% of all the pastors and move you around. And so I was out and I was supposed to go to eastern Colorado. And I mean... We've got a growing church. We've got a church that's alive in Jesus. And, and you, you know, you're taking me away. And, and so I just I started praying and praying and praying about it. What do I do? What do I do? And um, I said, God, do I go? And he said, no. I didn't know what to do. You know, Lord, are you sure? Do you want me to go? He says, no. I remember this clearly. I want you to stay in the city. Okay. Okay. So I took a leave of absence. I called up my superintendent and says, not going to, to eastern Colorado, sorry, I'm just I'm going to take a leave of absence. In the meantime, as, as I'm doing that, I'm staying up late at night praying about everything. What should I do, Lord? And I'm just, I'm terrified. I don't have a job. I don't have a church. I don't know what I'm going to do. What do I do, Lord? What do I do? What do you want me to do? And I remember it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I said, what do you want me to do, Lord? Start a church? I can't explain the peace that just dumped on me in that moment. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, I was in harmony with myself. I was at peace. That's what he wanted. So I said, okay, but my wife has to agree. So I wake her up, two in the morning. I think God wants us to start a new church. Okay, all right, that's all I needed. That was the confirmation. We start a new church. There's about 12. We start with about 12 in our in meeting in our, our living room. And what an exciting church that became. We never had a building. We, we just, you know, rented spaces and, and things like that. And it grew over time to over 100 people. I mean, it was, it was a, a really, really tremendous ministry and a loving church. And I just loved it. Just loved it. I was excited every Sunday I could preach the word. I could just come out there and, and share what God is sharing in his word. And about 10, 11, 12 years later, there's another guy that was in the church who was more, uh, he's a legalist. And I preached grace. And we were kind of at each other a lot over that. And unbeknownst to me, he was going around to other families in the church spreading a bit of poison. That pastor, he's not doing it right. He doesn't believe this. And he's not doing it this way, and he's not doing it that way. And confused so many that before long our church was divided and split. 
and I went to, to be bivocational and, you know, didn't know what to do. And it was just, it was a really, really hard, difficult time. Eventually, with just a handful left over, I had a friend who had another church. This was with the Evangelical Free Methodist Church, more to my, my liking. And he needed an associate pastor, so we went over there, you know, and, and served there for a few years. And, and that was fine. I had a good ministry. I loved the teaching ministry I had over there. Um, and they were, it was coming up time to nominate a new superintendent. And the senior pastor had been there for some time, and we were friends, and his name was up for nomination. We really thought he was going to be nominated for that position, and then I would just take over and be the senior pastor for the church. Turns out that another person got that position, a kind of a guy that had more of a CEO mentality than a shepherd mentality. If you know anything about the two, they're like that. And so my friend Mike knew his num- days were numbered, so he, he goes. He goes to another state. And I think, well, okay, you know, I can still handle this. And the church wanted me to, me to be the pastor. I wanted to be the pastor, but the new superintendent wanted somebody else. So I agreed to stay on as an associate pastor. It was the most miserable year of ministry outside of working with youth. It was the most miserable year of ministry that, that I had. And after one year, that new pastor says, Tom, you're, you're gone. I'm going to get a, a worship leader. We don't need you anymore. So I'm back to square one. You know, what do I do? Where do I go? So it so turns out that the hospice I had worked at a year ago and quit so I could work at the church had an opening again for a chaplain that very day. And so I just walked right back into hospice work. And it was the Lord saying to me, Tom, I'm going to close the door on this parish ministry for you. But I'm opening up this door to hospice, which I served for 22 years. And in that time, able to see people come to know the Lord, that they were saved. I watched people get healed by God's hand. I was able to bring families and and people close to the Lord again. So many who had been abandoned by their church or abandoned their church, coming back to faith in Christ. It was a great ministry for 22 years until it became a business and not a ministry. See, all these corporations are out there buying up all these little hospices. And they're trying to make a bunch of money off of it. And by doing so, then they put all these restrictions on it. So in the very last one that I was working, and I was so frustrated, so stressed out over it. I mean, I love the ministry, I love the people, but I had to see so many people every week. I had to write reports and document it every time. I had to go to meetings every week. I had to do all that stuff. Any of you work in the corporate world, you know what I'm talking about. And it was limiting me, and because my territory was so big, I couldn't do it. I had to drive to Longmont and spend a whole day at the hospital there at least once every other week with a family whose loved one was dying. I didn't have time in driving around to to do all these things. I got written up for it because I wasn't meeting the standards. And I was just stressing over that. The the, uh, computer programming was horrible. And I couldn't get it. I couldn't understand it. And they never would fix it. And, and I, just, I just got so uptight. And so it, it was so tense. Um, that last year, I, I was able to work part-time. That helped a little bit. And still maintain my benefits. But a year ago, last November 15th, 
I walked out of that hospice office retired and feeling nothing. I was burned out. I was spent. I was so stressed. I was so tired. I was so tired of the games of trying to play to just want to minister to people that I left there and I felt nothing. And, you know, for the next few weeks, six weeks, I'm just kind of hanging around the house doing things that I always wanted to do. It just seemed like an extended vacation. And then Larry retires. <laughs> and so, you know, I, people are coming up to me, Tom, would you consider being an interim pastor for the church for a while? No, I, I'm sorry. I'm retired now. <laughs> Thanks. No. Didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go back to anything. I was burned out. I was so tired. I was so worn out. But then God spoke. Tom, I want you to do this. You've been a pastor. You can do this. You've been a hospice chaplain. You can help the church get through those grieving, sorrowful times. You know what needs to be done. I want you to do it. Okay, Lord, I'll do it for four months. I'll do it for four months. I'll get us through Easter. So we start joining this, and I start enjoying it. I love it. We have the best staff ever. I tell you what, thank you. Praise God. I mean, the, the leadership team was just, you know, really trying to figure things out, get things going. But I had the privilege of every day working with Nathan and Doris and Stephanie and Kelly and, and Chris and, and Liz to, to work with them and, and making sure everything is going on that needs to be, go on. And we had a wonderful year. Mm-hmm. When you think about all that, that we've been through, it's been a wonderful year. And I just, I mean, I'm just so happy and so proud to be, have been a part of that. And so, you know, I, I, we get to, e- to Easter and I think, you know, the Lord says, nah, you just can't jump out right after Easter. Okay, I'll stay one more month. So I stay through May. And the Lord says, but you know, it's summertime and attendance is going to be down. And it's going to be hard for this church to, to, to move. I, w- I want you to stay a little longer. Okay, I'll stay through the summer. So I, you know, I'm staying through the summer. And, and finally, at the end of August... I start to feel that release from God. And so we work it out. Uh, I was going to pass it off to, to Nathan. We worked it out between his uh, missionary work and things I had going on that at the end of October, last day of October, I would step aside and turn that over to him. My only regret is, not a regret because I'm excited for Tyler, but he only gets a couple of months to be in this position. So, uh, <laughs> so I just wanted him to have some, some time to have that experience. So... Anyway, you know, we, we come to that, and at the end of October, I realized what really has been going on. Not only did God think that I could do this, and you guys did too, but the Lord was reminding me, 40 years ago, you said a prayer. Mm-hmm. And I heard that prayer, and I remembered that prayer, and so I gave you this ministry for 10 months so that you could end your career as excited and fulfilled and full of joy as when I began. So I want to say thank you. Thank you. If, if you've been praying for something for a long time, don't give up. God hears the prayer and he remembers the prayer and he will answer that prayer. And, and, but you don't really realize what this means? It means that you all were the answer to a 40-year-old prayer. 
Some of you weren't even born yet, but I mean, it's because of your faithfulness to Christ, your faithfulness to this church, that my store was, my joy was restored. It was like the Lord was saying, Tom, I'm going to show you something. Your joy is still there. Let's just clean it up a little bit. Let's unclutter it with all that crap that you've been through. Let's give you, let me show you what is really there. And he showed me you and he brought me into this opportunity. So, man, just, I, I just think about, as every time I think about that, I think, why does joy make you cry? Yeah. You know, I am just so elated that God would remember that prayer 40 years ago and give me this opportunity that he gave me. And so it's been a privilege I only want to add that the greatest blessing in all of that was having my wife beside me that entire time. Through it all. Through it all. So, I just wanted to tell you that story. Joy is not limited to Christmas. We sure like to sing about it. But joy is found in the message of Christmas. Jesus is God with us. Emmanuel. God in the flesh, come to earth that we may come into his presence and experience joy. All right? One more thing of joy, our offering. Yes? It is a joy to give to the Lord. It is our joy. So, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for listening to a young, inexperienced young man who just wanted to have joy his entire ministry. Thank you for giving it to me and for showing me that it was always there. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that you bring to us when we come into the presence of our Lord Jesus. That whenever we are near him, we feel that joy. It is there. It is real. And I give you praise for that joy. And thank you for this church and the joy that is yet to be because we have a future that is in your hands, and we thank you. Lord, bless this time of offering. As you've joyfully given yourself to us, we enjoy return our gifts to you. And we pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Joy. Wasn't this a joyful day? Yes. 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 And joy to the world. The Lord is come, and we are free to be him. I can hardly wait for the joy... That is that we're about to to discover over the next few years, many years. I can hardly wait. It will continue. I just want to say, go in the joy of the Lord. Live in his presence and experience that joy. We'll see you next week, Christmas Eve, 4.30 and 6 o'clock. There's some invites to give to friends, so grab those and make sure everyone is here. May God be with you and thank you. God bless. God bless.